Welcome to Charter Central, a podcast for leaders in education brought to you by Central Michigan University, the Governor John English Center for Charter Schools, a leader in educational choice and quality options. My name is Orlando Castellan, and I'm here with my colleague, Janelle Brzezinski. Good afternoon, Janelle. How are you? Good. Great to be here today. We're really excited to have um, two special guests as our guests um, this month on the podcast to talk about a really important topic that Orlando will share with you here in a minute. But just a reminder, if you're a new listener, um, please subscribe so you don't miss an episode. You can catch all of our old episodes and all of our new upcoming ones on our website, which is the centerforcharters.org. We're also on all the podcast streaming platforms. So we're just glad to have everybody listening today for this important topic. Well, and that important topic today is culturally responsive teaching. And we're fortunate to have Sheena Hill-Scott, who is the Dean of the Lower Elementary at Pembroke Charter Academy, and Dr. Vaughn Glass, Principal at Warrendale Charter Academy, joining us today to share their expertise on the subject of culturally responsive teaching. So stick around as our guests join us for this wonderful conversation. Welcome to Charter Central, a podcast for education leaders. Welcome back to Charter Central. My name is Orlando Castellan, and we are back to discuss an important topic of culturally responsive teaching. And we know this is important in many of our schools um, and wanted to make sure that we had an opportunity to connect our listeners to educators who are working uh, and leading in this area. Our two guests today, uh, Sheena Hill-Scott and Dr. Von Glass, have been connected through their years of working in education together, including leading professional developments for schools. And so we're really excited to have them here today to share with us a little bit about the culturally responsive teaching. And so my first question for you all is, can you help us for the, for the novice that may be listening to this uh, conversation, can you help them understand what is culturally responsive teaching? Sure. So uh, culturally responsive teaching is when you're um, intimately, uh, when you intimately understand the community in which you're serving. And so it's important um, to be able to connect with the student even before you're attempting to deliver instruction. So just intimately understanding your audience, your community in which you're serving. And uh, the second part of it is we'll talk about numbers associated with uh, we always use the free and reduced lunch population to help us discern, okay, this is the direction that we should take. This is an at-risk school and making sure that teachers understand that with depth. Uh, what does it mean to teach at an at-risk school? And uh, what, what does that mean in terms of culture and intentional coaching, culture building in a school? 
And I know, as you know, Orlando mentioned that you've led professional development in this area. Um, you know, you had shared with us your your very first um, topic that you um, typically jump off on is, you know, being culturally responsive in the urban community. Can you expand a little bit more? I think that would probably lead a little bit to what, what you were just discussing of kind of how that topic came about and how that leads into really the pedagogy and the teaching in the classroom. Yeah, well... <laughs> this came about, Dr. Glass and I were attending a professional development or uh, with Central, I'm, I'm sorry, with GVSU. <laughs> and um, and we talked to the then president um, to express our um, concern for uh, teachers coming out of the program, uh, basically ill-equipped to teach in an urban setting. And so we were kind of trying to pick his brain as to what the university could do in terms of teacher preparation. And he turned to us and said, create something. Mm -hmm. And so we had a newfound respect for it. Don't bring me a problem without a solution. <laughs> and yeah. so we went back to the school <laughs> and, and put our heads together and uh, spent about a month or so um, coming up with, with strategies and tools and techniques as to how educators can be more responsive in the urban community with success, right? So they have their degrees, multiple degrees, and they're certified, at least at that time, many were. Right. And, um, and but they just could not connect, right? And so we had to give them tools or techniques as to what they need to do first before they're able to impart all of this knowledge um, with the students, particularly in an urban setting. And part of that was an orientation in the community, uh, walking around the neighborhood. Uh, let's 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 take a little walk. <laughs> tell me what you see. Uh, tell me what you hear. <laughs> right. Just really getting a teacher to community, uh, if if that makes sense, and then starting from there, because you know the ethnic component of culture is one thing. But uh, that's, you know, the school is in a community that they need to understand with depth. So it sounds like the first step for a teacher might be to uh, really observe the neighborhood, the community. What about in the classroom? Um, how can a teacher foster that cultural awareness in the classroom once they have an understanding of what the community has to offer? Sure. First, they have to really get to know their students. And we re really get to know them. Yes, you need to know where they're reading at and, and where they are, where the data says they are in terms of math. But you need to know that that student is coming from a single parent household and his mom is working two or three jobs. You need to know what moves him. You need to know that family's value system. And we have a lot of ways in which we can kind of peel back that and understand uh, we need to be very intentional with even the inventory um, uh, sheets that we can, you know, do with our kids and even send home, allowing the parent to weigh in on how their student uh, would best learn um, or what they like, what moves them, what encourages them, what incentivizes them. Really, really get to know that that student on a very personal level. Yeah, because relationship building and relational capacity is huge. You build that with the parent. You build that with the, the with the child, and uh, once that you know is built, and you put certain tools in the classroom, like we'll have the student, uh, the teacher set up social contracts 
uh, in the in the classroom. And that's something that they collectively come together to form a social contract. This social contract is how we agree to treat each other in the classroom. So now you're intentional about how you're going to speak to each other, how you're going to interact with each other in the dynamics of a classroom. And then taking some of that, you know, awareness and some of those initial steps, like you said, getting to know, connecting with those children, getting to know their, you know, their beliefs, their, um, their priorities, their values. And then how does, um, how does that then go into action of taking that next step into how that might impact the teaching, the pedagogy in the classroom? Um, kind of what does that bridge look like into some strategies of how to ensure that they are being culturally responsive? Uh, well, one thing that we did, uh, uh, we talked about, uh, you know, just taking a walk in the neighborhood. Uh, so there are some, I'll just give an example. There's stores, little uh, grocery stores in the community, and they have sales papers, right? Uh, what's on sale, this, that, any other. So that can easily be used in a math lesson. A 90% chance that the child has been in that store with mom shopping, <laughs> right? Uh, we are uh, coming upon Thanksgiving and there's a sale at the corner market and every kid knows that market, <laughs> you know, and they just left the market just the other day. And now we're having a math conversation or a math lesson about what's on sale, what's the best buy, uh, what's the difference between this and that. That's one way of hitting them right at home with a lesson that's really responsive because they not only know where that store is, they have the sales paper in their homes. <laughs> so now that's in the classroom and the teacher is talking about it. So <clears throat> trying to make certain that everything is relevant to them, their life right then and there, that day, in that moment, and not so much textbook, everything textbook, right? They can't necessarily connect with it because it's not about them their community and what they know. Um, and so we've, you know, really been focusing some of this like in the classroom and directly with the teachers. Um, obviously there's a big community at a school, even outside of, of the teacher in the classroom. How do we really engage some of those other support staff, some of the school leadership? Like how do we really, um, you know, embrace that culture within a school community um, that this is important to everybody to be, you know, understanding and responsive to the needs of students. Sure. That's incumbent upon us as administrators. And we too have a social contract, okay, um, that we have and that we govern ourselves by and, um, and, and, and understanding and defining your why. Why are you here? Why do you come here when your alarm clock goes off at oh dark 30, right? Mm -hmm. I think starting there and being very, very intentional with our relational capacity and making certain that we're we're there to support and encourage one another. Yeah. And one way that we do that is assemblies in, in schools. Uh, school assemblies are crucial to building culture and what's important and what the school value uh, values as a whole. We have creeds that are intentional, pledges that are intentional. Uh, and you can repeat parts of the creed or parts of the pledge that connects right back to the classroom and what the expectations are 
I'm having a conversation with a student and they start with excuses. All I have to say is part of the creed. I say, I'll say, excuses are, and then they'll finish it for me. I say, so let's not make excuses, sir. Let's take responsibility for what we need to do here. And, it, and it's embedded in everything that we do, the creed, the pledge, everything. Mm -hmm. Yeah, having those assemblies that fosters our sense of community within our school. And many of our kiddos, unfortunately, you know, many single parents, they're frustrated. They're, you know, they're, they're in survival mode, right? And so they come into school already um, upset, fist balled up, crying because they, you know, got almost pushed out the car because mom late to work, right? And so we have to get them in, the, in, in an assembly and pour into them. And, and we refer to them as Mr. or Miss or King and a, or Queen, um, just to to let them know that we value you. And in and, 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 and so many words, you know, we're going to rise above your current circumstances, right? Without saying that, but everything we intentionally do, uh, we're there to make certain that that happens. I have to imagine that um, when a student is engaged in the culturally, culturally responsive classroom or when they feel loved like this, you guys have seen the examples of how that behavior changes, how that impacts student learning. I'm wondering, without sharing names, if, if you guys have any examples of uh, stories that you might be able to share of a student that you impacted in this way or that you saw turn in a way that was special or unique. Wow. Yeah, so many. And they still come back to our, our former school. We've moved on to another school now, but they still come back and they're 25 years old with children. Um, definitely. I, I think what what hurt me one time with one particular student, unfortunately, um, he um, um, got locked up. He's incarcerated. But his first phone call after serving his time was to one of the teachers there at the school to let her know I'm out, I messed up, but I'm not going back. And um, just to to know in his mind of minds that I let her down. Now this is a K-8 facility, you know, this is a K-8 school, but yet he was, you know, early twenties and had, you know, landed himself in jail. But one of his first phone calls was to a teacher at the school at a K-8? And with me, um, I've had the, um, I mean, I, I consider it a gift that one of the students that, um, well, not, not just one, a couple, um, have come back and now they're teachers in the school that they were actually a student of. And now they're the teacher. <laughs> And some of the parents that uh, I was their principal or, you know, assistant principal, now they're bringing their children <laughs> to my school, <laughs> right? Uh, remembering, you know, just the times and the experiences that they've had in the school and uh, bringing their, their babies now back is very powerful. And I'm sure it just expands right over time and that legacy of 
community and having people that have, you know, been able to um, have an impact on um, on your teaching and in the school community and then just becoming a part of the school community in another role, I'm sure is really, yeah. really special to see. I know earlier, um, one thing that you said I wanted to touch on was, um, you know, what students are learning in some of the, their teacher preparation programs, right? So it's a little bit more on the newer, um, the newer teacher. Um, what about for a teacher that's been in education a little bit longer of really, um, you know, trying to um, continue to keep this top of mind over many years in education and then tapping into those teachers that have been in the classroom and can share their experiences like you all just did with us, right? Um, how do you really engage those veteran teachers in this way to be able to share with their colleagues that might be newer? Absolutely. So we have, we're very intentional in having uh, wing leads and teacher leaders and uh, having our teachers even um, host professional developments, right? In the beginning of the school year and throughout the school year, because we know that teachers um, learn best from each other. <laughs> they, they receive it better from each other. And so I, I think that's what we've been very, very um, deliberate in doing. Yeah, and, and you know, just being the guide on the side of the coach, because, you know, our roles uh, tend to switch there where we are, you know, we'll meet, talk about it, and then say, okay, let's see you do it. And then we're on the side coaching them. <laughs> so that's very important. Uh, so the mentorship is embedded in it. it the mentorship has many layers to it. Yes, we often refer to our teachers. We say, "Every you're all leaders within your own right. And so just pouring into them and, and deliberately trying to um, uh, see their capacity. And once we realize their capacity, feel, you know, give them opportunities to lead. Um, so yes, that's, that's very, very intentional. How important is the um, curriculum that you guys use when you think about ensuring um, that your classrooms are culturally responsive? Yeah, yeah curriculum is very important. Uh, we switch curriculums to as a, I mean, as a cue to us that more was needed. We, we once upon a time, we had embraced Reading Street, for example, and we switched from Reading Street um, for a number of reasons. Um, uh, first, the teachers that we were getting started to change. Um, and the students, um, because of now at risk was a little bit more convoluted because of the rise of COVID and now not being in school. So we switched from Reading Street to Reading Mastery. We were being responsive because uh, we noted that, man, what this is not enough. We need to really be more intentional with regard to um, our population of students that are coming to us and now the hardships that are now coming upon the families where, um, once upon a time, Reading Street was okay, but now since the dynamics have shifted and changed, we need something else. So curriculum plays a very important part in that. 
And then all, while we want to, you know, use the curriculum with fidelity, um, it's incumbent upon the teacher to also pull in additional resources, right? And to be very, very um, strategic in their delivery, uh, making certainly have, they hook the students through, we, we embraced ITIP, Instructional Theory into Practice, Marilyn Hunter. So making certain that they just don't, okay, open up your books to page 37. No, how are we gonna hook this student, right? How are we gonna introduce this lesson? And definitely using the curriculum at, with fidelity, but also bringing in additional uh, relevant resources to help enhance this, this lesson for them. That's how you're uh, culturally responsive. Yeah, and and to kind of piggyback off those resources, um, you know, if you're a teacher that maybe your your school isn't as focused on this at the leadership level, um, maybe you're not don't have access to that professional development. Where could a teacher go um, to really dive into this on their own and and take the lead and in, in initiative to learn more about what they can do in their classroom? Yeah, that's a good question. So one of the major things that uh, one of the major pieces in and uh, all of the things that I've read, um, uh, teaching with poverty in mind, Eric Jensen would be a really good place to start um, because he adds a lot of the pedagogical components to how, in a lot of instances, Poverty has adversely affected, um, um, uh, has a negative impact on the brain and how it even functions. So uh, he offers some teaching strategies and uh, as Scott alluded to earlier, uh, hooks, psychological hooks to help students remember and hold on to what they're learning. So that's a really good place to start from. And then once you start pulling that up, it'll it'll open a whole uh, plethora of uh, tools and resources. Perfect. And if um, you know, if you could say one thing to the brand new teacher who you know, who just started a few weeks ago, right, and this is their first school year, um, what would be you know a word of encouragement, or you know, like you said, that's that's a good place to start as far as resources. But um, like if they could have you know a big impact with one one small action, what would be some insights that you would share with a brand new teacher heading out of a, a college situation and into the classroom? Yes, we would definitely say uh, relational capacity is key. Yeah. Uh, being empathetic and not sympathetic. Yes. Keeping your expectations high. Yes. Show the students that you 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 care for them. And and to Mr. Glass, Dr. Glass's point, um, you you have those high expectations, but you will also support him or her in reaching those high expectations. And I got to imagine that each one of you probably had a teacher like that that encouraged you. And one of the questions we like to ask folks in our podcast is, um, or we want to give folks an opportunity to shout out a teacher uh, that may have had that impact on them uh, when, you know, as they were growing up in elementary school or, or middle or high. So I want to give each of you the opportunity. Did you have a teacher that impacted you in that way? Uh, and just a chance to shout them out here. Sure. On the and it's funny you mentioned that um, in our professional developments that we do, that is the do now for our participants. 
when they first come in. So yes, I would like to shout out uh, Charzetta Ellis. She was my sixth, seventh, and eighth grade ELA teacher on the west side of Detroit, Winterhalter Middle School. <laughs> and mine would be uh, Dr. Cohen. Uh, he was a teacher at Cass Tech, and he went on. He was an administrator at Cass Tech as well. Shout out to Dr. Cohen. That's amazing. And clearly their legacy, right? Teaching legacy yeah. lives on through the many, many students that both of you have impacted. Um, just a reminder of our guest here today, Mrs. Sheena Hill-Scott, who's with Pembroke Charter Academy, a CMU partner school in Detroit, and then um, Dr. Von Glass. Thank you as well from Warrendale Charter Academy, a Grand Valley school. We're happy to have you join us um, today. And just thank you so much, um, it's certainly a critical topic, something that um, is so imperative that that teachers are mindful of. And as you mentioned, obviously, that expands to the entire school community um, and how best we can reach reach the students that are in our school buildings and make sure that we're setting that up, up for success in life. So thank you both. We truly appreciate your time today. Um, we know it's a, it's a busy school day and you sharing your insights um, and wisdom with other educators is going to make a difference in the lives of their students as well. So thank, thank you for you. joining us and we hope you have a great day. Thank you for having us. You as well. Thank you. Thank you.